You fellas have a lot of growing up to do, I'll tell you that. Ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. Can you believe these characters? Way out of line, way out of line. Have a good mind to go to the warden about this. You know what hurts the most is the, the lack of respect. You know? That's what hurts the most. Except for the, except for the other thing. That hurts the most, but the lack of respect hurts the second most. Weaver, McKenna, you're free to go. Ridiculous. Today we got, um, mm -hmm. we got Giordano, and we got uh, Haas is back. From, again, he was with us last week, too. All I'm right. back, baby. How you guys doing? Never better. Good to Never hear. better. Thriving. Yeah. Moisturized. Yeah. I think I have the moisturized. I think I have Omicron. Something great. Kind of sounded like you might have Omicron. <laughs> but that's the best way to enjoy uh, movies. It adds You're another kind of layer. It adds another layer to yeah. your baritone. <laughs> uh, yeah. How about how about you, Haas? How you doing? Yeah, living my best life, thriving. <laughs> All right. So we uh, we convened today. This is let's let's call this an emergency pod, emergency podcast, because mm -hmm. uh, you know one of yes. the one of the kings of comedy has has died. Mm -hmm. Bob Saget. <laughs> Um, the original the kings, kings of comedy yes. yeah so <laughs> the originals mm -hmm. so Haas had the idea to uh to talk about uh norm mcdonald's dirty work which was directed by bob saget um i'm a big time long time fan of that movie so we're going to get into that in a minute but first there's kind of an, another there was something else that came up I think, you know, a couple of days ago that I think all three of us happen to be fans of this individual. Um, and so we'll talk real quick or, or, or maybe not so quick as much time as we want about the uh, mm. Sam Hyde sort of, I'll call it a documentary. I'm, oh, yes. I'm not exactly mm -hmm. sure what was documented, but it's, it was kind of a documentary. Art. <laughs> First impressions, who wants to, who wants to go? You know, as documentaries go, I thought it was fascinating. It was, I mean, there's so many documentaries on YouTube and Amazon Prime. I don't have Netflix, but that don't even meet, I would say, like, what are the basic requirements of a documentary? So this is like a freeform impressionistic, I'm probably giving it way too much credit, but I thought it was, I, I found it fascinating. Um, no, I think, I think you're, and it was actually pretty funny. I think you're right on. And, um, I, when I uh, when I saw people started tweeting pictures and stuff from it, I, I was like, "What? What is this? What, what's going on?" So I finally figured out what they're talking about. You know that Sam and his his friends had released this documentary, and I look it up, and it's like two hours. And uh, I, you know, I sometimes listen to Sam Hyde's uh, podcast that he does with Nick from from MDE, and those are usually about two hours. They're all right but sometimes they get a little boring and I was thinking this two hour documentary. Uh, we'll see. I'll jump in. We'll see how it goes. I just, if, if nothing else, I want to know what people are talking about. And I was like, I was surprised by how compelling it was. It was very watchable, especially the first like 20 minutes are very funny. And then the rest is kind of more, I would say like impressionistic. Yeah. I, I had actually been following it pretty closely prior to its release because I saw Sam Hyde, 
um, kind of feels posting. I don't know if that's the word for it, but he was, he was like tweeting a bunch of stuff like, man, you never know who your real friends are or things like that. And uh, so like, I knew something was coming out. So I was keeping an eye on his account and then I saw it come out. I was, I was probably amongst some of the first to watch. And so, um, and I had kind of been following the iDubs thing as well. Um, should I set up some of that stuff? I don't know. Yeah, I actually do that because I, um, I like, I recognize iDubs. I had heard this. I know that people, but I don't know much about him. The, the only, the, my introduction to him was like a year ago when people mm. were making fun of him because he like encouraged his girlfriend to do OnlyFans or something like that. Like, that's the only reason I, I really even knew who he was. Yeah. So he, he kind of has his origins with, uh, um, kind of early YouTube stuff with content like pink guy and Joji that he was like in that crew. Um, if you guys know who those guys are, um, yeah, I know I, he's, uh, Joji's music is surprisingly good, like better than, uh, better than I would think. Right. And they were kind of like the young, like basically like Sam Hyde ish characters on YouTube. Uh, although Sam Hyde was also on YouTube at the time, but um anyway so he was in that crew and then ended up making his own channel and he actually like i think he got banned from youtube previously mm. and so like he 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 was kind of like in the same sphere that that this whole sphere is right the getting banned from social media platform sphere maybe and so he basically just did kind of his like gaming videos and then like kind of his throwaway uh, like kind of stupid videos on his main channel. And he kind of stopped posting for like the last like three to four years. He hasn't really posted much, but then he started kind of posting again. And, and this is around the time there was the whole girlfriend controversy, which he married like a cringe and blue paired blue pilled girl, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. essentially who had an only fans and like, then when his fans were kind of roasting him for it, like, come on, I dubs, like you're going to have this, like you're going to have your girlfriend like cuck you on OnlyFans. And then he did a video and he's like, I like it. Like, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> and you can basically tell like he probably wasn't a Trump supporter is kind of what happened. And so like he liked kind of transgressive comedy, right? But um, politically... He was like, oh, I'm not down with Trump or whatever, fascism. And so he kind of tried to distance himself from his own fans in a way. The, the other part of this story is he's been challenging people to box. He was going to box his like rival, this mm. Asian guy who did like unboxing stuff. Was that was, so IDUB started that boxing thing? Well, now, now that I'm understanding, this documentary was filmed before that. Mm -hmm. So kind of in the summertime, he started challenging people to start boxing. Okay. Cause I'd seen Sam challenging a bunch of people as, as a bit, like he's always right. hit Rogan or something. To and, just... and that kind of came because basically IDub said he challenged this Asian guy to box and he raised all the money for it, got everything ready. And then the Asian guy like chickened out and, and wouldn't return his calls. So he basically said, I will box anyone. I'll get other people to box. And so at that point is when like Sam Hyde on Twitter started like challenging people to box. He wanted to box Anthony Fantano. 
in iDubs event. So I was kind of following this because I guess that's what I do. And then, um, and then, yeah, then he releases this video where he's like, I'm going to release all the content to, with iDubs. And I didn't know that like, cause like iDubs had essentially like distanced himself from any right wing sphere anywhere, even though he's kind of got famous for saying the N word to polite YouTubers like five to six years ago, that was kind of his big video. <laughs> I had no, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. He went to TanaCon, which was a protest of VidCon by some lady named Tana that was on YouTube. And he got to take a picture with her. And when he got up to her, he said the N word right in her ear and she freaked out. I, I watched his videos years back and uh, the, I mean, they were, uh, I could see why they're so popular. They all have millions of views and stuff. It's just him acting like, uh, you know, doing funny goofball, stupid things. It's, uh, they're mostly apolitical, uh, just, I don't know, just not caring about, not caring about, uh, anything political correctness or anything like that, which is, was obviously the huge appeal of that type of content. And that's what made him so, I don't know, in a way, refreshing and popular and fun. It's like uh, Trump coming in kind of destroyed that entire realm of of YouTube. And everyone basically had to choose sides. And he just realized, I guess, that he couldn't be on the side of the, the fun side. And so it's a, it's a very sad tale. It's almost like the inversion of Sam Hyde in a way. But yeah, yeah. So then we they're, they're very similar. Then we fast forward to now. He is wait, I've got one more historical bit. Okay. Um, so also what he did like after he kind of disappeared off of YouTube for the most part, he then came out with like a documentary about this uh random YouTuber that he used to watch who used to um who used to uh, do lightsaber duels with his neighbors and he was just big fat redneck. And he did like a two hour documentary on this guy and his life and how sad it was. And then he did another one with, um, I can't remember who he was, but he ended up becoming like an actor and like he was this YouTuber that would like pretend to be a super nerdy guy, but it was kind of all an act, but you couldn't really tell how much was an act. And so he's been doing these like kind of documentaries on kind of these oddities of, you know, the memory hole of YouTube. And so is that premise that that was the understanding with which he was coming to visit Sam Hyde. Right. Right. So, so like him. Sam Hyde understood it, that he wanted to come and kind of be like, let's check in on what Sam Hyde's up to since he kind of has been kicked off of everything. And then of and course, so, yeah, so then yeah. he's he's greeted with, like, I mean, I don't know Sam Hyde personally or whatever, but, uh, you know, I think all of us are about the same age. We, we know guys like him. Uh, he's, a, he's a force of personality. You can just tell, like, uh, you go up against him like, kind of in a social setting, you're probably going to lose. And not only that, <laughs> but Idubs is coming to Sam's hometown, and he's going to be, like, following him and his crew around. So it's like Sam plus like five other Sams. And he's, it, you can just see from the first moment, he's just completely outmatched. Like he, he, any intent or any plans he had of like 
influencing the direction or narrative where we're obviously not going to work. Yeah, he was very much uh, in over his head right from the start. When the documentary starts, and probably my favorite part of the documentary was just Sam and his crew going through a hilarious list, a brainstorm of just like bizarre pranks and things that they're going to pull on, on iDubs, like while he's there visiting them. So I believe one of them was like buy hundreds of parakeets and have parakeets everywhere. Um, um, let's see, have uh, constantly talking about Bitcoin. Just basically, oh, they rented a, they rented a small office in uh, like an abandoned dentist office, and it's like this tiny little room that they crammed the entire crew in into into this filthy basement room. And they're pretending like this is their office where they work in all day. Just thinking about it is making me laugh. Yeah, but the list. It's like. <laughs> the list was uh, was definitely a highlight. Uh, and I'm trying to find it now. You can, you can, Sam posted the link. Um, but yeah, it's really funny. It's stuff like, you know, leave, leave unpackaged meat in the fridge, uh, you know, <laughs> above, above the drinks. So it's like dripping onto the drinks and things like that and act like it's no big deal. And there's something like slam like iDubs as a rap lyric and like always be rapping. And then they have like the, the bodyguard guy like do do safety checks. Yeah. And I'd seen that body, the bodyguard, I'd seen him in uh, skateboarding stuff because um, he was a, he was or is a, a pro skateboarder. But, um, but yeah, he's, you know, uh, he's like, you know, uh, you can't leave your bag. You can't leave your bag on the ground. That sort of stuff. It's a security risk. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, so when I saw their their list of stuff, it's like you know this was really funny to me in theory. But then once Idubs shows up, he clearly, I mean, at least to me, he he clearly wasn't falling for any of it. He could tell that they were just being disingenuous wackos, which also works because now he can't it's like how do you make it well it all goes back to what was idubs's or what is his uh what's his reasoning behind doing this documentary you know was it just to show a slice of life or was it to paint sam as uh, some kind of an a-hole um I, that i'm not fully sure about I'd, i wonder what you guys think about what his intentions were with filming this but he clearly after the first few minutes he's like well i he doesn't know what to do yeah, I, my suspicion, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, I guess I don't know. I'm not familiar with like the iDubs persona too much. I, I mean, if possible, though, if you're that kind of guy, if you do happen to get the footage, you know, where Sam is saying, you know, maybe saying, oh, I regret how my career is gone, or he's expressing embarrassment or whatever, you know, that's going to go in there. And that's going to be like the, that's what iDubs would have done. Um, so I'm sure he... I'm sure he was at least open to making something that uh, was embarrassing or, or like a hit piece. But then you could tell like after day one, there was, he probably knew that was not going to happen. And then there's like the interview, which I guess is, you know, this is kind of like the dramatic climax of the, of the thing, even though it's like happens like less than halfway through. So mm. everything after yeah, I was that, gonna say, like, yeah, the, the interview kind of is the only thing we get as far as what was IDUB's intentions doing it. And honestly, um, from seeing the other two documentaries he's done, he's kind of trying to paint these people in like a sympathetic light. And yeah. from at least one of the questions, he was kind of 
implying like i know you're not a nazi like why do you pretend to keep pretending to be a nazi you know for your fans and like mm-hmm. and he's like do you think your fans know you're not a nazi when it's it's almost like so this is something i've been thinking about in general in kind of this space where like I've seen people get in trouble for kind of just knowing the the alt-right memes. Like, just if you know them, that's enough to, like, be canceled. Like, if you reference them. But then you'll see left-wing people reference them as well, kind of in a joking manner. Like, they'll reference, like, trad wife stuff or wearing trad wife dresses or saying 14 words or something like that. And But they they get a pass because they say, and it's wrong. Whereas... If you don't say and it's wrong, then you are are a bad person because you have to say and it's wrong. Otherwise, everyone's going to assume you think it's okay to yeah. be a Nazi. Or, or you have to uh, say that you, you work in some capacity as like an anti-fascist researcher. Right, right. And so IDubs has said, has taken that step to be like, and I think it's wrong that I said the N-word so many times. Mm. And, and, and Sam Hyde hasn't done that. He's continuing the joke because he's a comedian. And, uh, and so he's basically trying to get him like, to me, what it seemed like the point of it was, was to try to get Sam to be like, look, I know you're not a a right wing, you know, white supremacist. So why don't you just tell other people that? And then you can have, you know, a YouTube partnership like I do. Yeah, and, and I, I dubs, I guess his name is Ian, but Ian Ian is acting like and he keeps saying he's like, you know, you could just, you know, kind of disavow your past and and you could, yeah, you can make money above board the way I do. And I don't know if he's naive or or what, because it's like YouTube and Twitter, at least in an, Sam's on Twitter, you know, kind of unofficially, but these no these like mainstream platforms are never letting him back. It, it, especially not in like a monetized way. He's there's no I don't think there's anything that he can do to, to do well, that. Well, he said that, right? Yeah, and I, so I don't know. Is Ian just being disingenuous or, na- or is he naive? I don't know. That conversation or that part of the interview, it reminded me of, uh, I saw an interview once with uh, Quentin Tarantino. I don't remember if he was promoting Kill Bill or Inglorious Bastards or something, but he was promoting something or other. And uh, the journalist asked him if he felt that his films glorified violence or violence against women or something like that and uh if he felt that this was appropriate and quentin tarantino just just like i i reject your thesis and um that's not my job my job is not to find meaning in the art that i make my job is just to make the art the critics can find whatever meaning they want in it, but I'm just creating the art. Yeah, now, whether yeah, or not, you know, this is this is like up for debate, but um, I feel like Sam Hyde is just, you know, he's making the comedy. He's making jokes. If you want to interpret that as, as uh, you know, oh, he's a Nazi or he's an anarchist or whatever, but he's not going to come out and say like, all right, at the end of each YouTube video, um, you know, remember to get out there and vote. And <laughs> this is all satire. Yeah. Like, that's just is really lame. Right, and it would ruin the, any humor that would be there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this is a, right. So I, I was that, also going to say that this causes, like, the, the answer to 
Idub's question about like why not just try to do it above the board, I think is answered by the fact that he didn't release the footage because like why didn't he release the footage? And he obviously didn't, not because they messed with him, but because being associated with Sam Hyde would be career suicide for him, right? Well, I watched what I wonder. Didn't he know that before going into it, though? Sure but maybe he, he thought he that would. he could go there and get Sam Hyde to kind of get serious mm -hmm. and be like, yes, I'm not a Nazi. I hate Nazis, too. Like the only, Yeah, the only acceptable end result for him would have been something that he had either made Hyde look like a bad guy or made him look repentant. Uh, but the but the end result, even with a lot of editing, the best they were going to get is that is that is that Hyde is just still his own guy. Like that's and that he's still funny and that he's still kind of crazy. Like that's the best they're going to get. So he probably just felt he couldn't put anything out that that cast Sam in a in a positive light at all, really, or or it would just yeah it would backfire on him. Right. Yeah. Like I I think that's the answer. Like the the fact that he's so toxic, you can't even like objectively you know learn about him or whatever yeah because also he like in the interview he talks about like he he had been watching his hide wars content which is like his patreon stuff um and like so he's obviously like paying attention and kind of knows a decent amount about what sam's all about but because he had like referenced like his interviews from years prior his like stand-up comedy that he used to do where he would just say super racist yeah. stuff to get the audience uh, that, mad at him that are, one of my favorite parts of the whole thing where he, uh he's he's saying like you know when you do other interviews um you're not serious and you you kind of make fun of the interviewers and sam's like well it's because i don't because those aren't serious people they don't deserve serious answers and ian ian is like well you know you talk to fantano and that my favorite part possibly sam just says well that guy sucks like <laughs> <laughs> and he, he does i mean fantano's yeah. very lame yeah he's mm -hmm. he i i was the whole time like at first i, I think i i was actually on the fence about idubs because i'm thinking like oh man i kind of feel sorry for this guy he used to be so funny and now he's in a way over his head with sam hyde but then I felt like he, he did reveal more and more. I mean, how naive or out of touch can you be when I believe at one point IDubs is like talking about the toxicity of terms like red pilled. Like, what is this where you can't even say the word or like just based? It seems like, or yeah, based. <laughs> like, these seem innocuous. They've entered the internet vernacular. I did, and then I did, as he's telling yeah. these, He's like he's trying to he's trying to explain to Sam's crew how these could be, you know, you guys don't use these seriously, do you? You're just saying these things ironically, right? Like, is there is there a problem with people saying red pilled or based? And then Sam is like just like appears behind iDubs, like looming over him um, while he's giving this little speech, and I just like started cracking up. I, I well, I was interested in that part because I was wondering if because Sam's Sam's friends. I mean the the sort of sub like the uh, the implication of of Sam Hyde is that he's is that he's like conservative, right? But um, and uh, and you know maybe he is. I don't really I don't know the details of his political views, and I don't, maybe he doesn't even have detailed views. But it's always sort of implied that he's conservative or whatever. But I mean, look at the company he keeps. I mean, they're they're all uh, you know what Sam himself would call wiggers. Like they're all kind of like they lean that direction. 
Um, they're very into like rap culture, ironically and unironically. So it's like, it's not a, it's not a conservative group of people really. And so when, when Ian's like, they're saying like, they totally, they're like, we don't say base. We don't say red pill and stuff. And I, part of that is probably just those terms. They feel those terms are outdated. They're no longer cool, but but like I, that's maybe an interesting point that Ian is that Ian captured is like, Sam's Sam and his fan base are not necessarily the same thing. I would say yeah, but also like I think most of his fan base are just, uh, kind of wayward millennials or Zoomers. Like they're not necessarily, <laughs> you know, uh, right wing extremists either. Yeah, you know, they're think, people who, who like yeah, transgressive humor. That's all they are, and that that's existed for a while. But it's only now that that's a national security threat, right? Well, yeah, and now to, <laughs> to be to be overtly and intentionally, uh, you know, wayward of of like the mainstream, like the mainstream, uh, you know, media or economy or something like that is is to be right wing, and even if you don't actually hold any right wing views. But like, what's the, what's the mainstream media, like young Sheldon, you know, like everybody's wayward if that's the case. Well, I was going to say, uh, yes, exactly. The, um, you know, when I was in high school, I never listened to insane clown posse or anything like that, but I, I tended to drift towards this sort of group of, of like juggalos and potheads and stoners and stuff and these were people who just existed on the fringes of society and I, I just liked being around them because they were just weird and they were just different and i think um um the the sam hyde phenomenon the mde culture and stuff like they're almost like ironic juggalos uh if if that makes any sense they like i don't know they don't even know where the irony ends and where it begins in regards to you know, vaping, uh, rap music, they just, they just want, they, they're just interested in creative, outside the box, fringe thinking, uh, just pushing back against norms, because what we've been raised on our entire lives, the, the societal norms of the media and stuff is just, it, it's poison, it's just demonic poison. And we don't want anything to do with it. And so that's kind of why the uh, fringe thing seems so appealing yeah basically the 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 documentary after the interview you think like maybe that's just like the opening foray into some tension and that it's gonna that there's gonna be more later but then there really isn't it's uh, like from there sam just shows ian a good time like they just have fun and i mean ian doesn't seem like he's necessarily having a lot of fun because like, i think he knows he's uh on a on just he's lost like the whole trip was a loss i think he understood that pretty early but imagine like you know you want to go do and maybe he wasn't intending like a hit piece but you go and do a try and do a hit piece on someone and and they just show you like a really fun week right and then that whole thing that he couldn't drive stick was embarrassing yeah very embarrassing actually now that i think of it it's almost like a western journalist who maybe goes to like uh you know kazakhstan or something and they want to um they want to show how how awful the the head of state is or something but then the head of state just like takes them to parties for 5 days in a row and that's like the entirety of their trip shooting off gold plated AKs i mean my my biggest takeaway from the whole thing is i i wish i had a crew of my own i wish i had dudes like that that were local 
that we worked on creative projects and then also uh you know yeah shot ak's in the desert there is yeah, definitely an appeal that's the dream right yeah have a an old abandoned dentist office with your crew <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah so it's it's almost that's at that. a, it's almost at a million views which for for hide is is big i'm sure i'm sure idubs routinely gets multiples of that but pretty big for him i don't know if it's like he's back because i i have kind of felt like uh he did sort of it did, even though he's all he's still been around doing his like gum road stuff it's it, ha- it has felt like he's in like a digital ghetto and he's a little bit locked out from mainstream discourse but he's he's kind of he's kind of back it feels like well i'd love to see more he uh but i mean he has kind of said repeatedly that he wants nothing to do with i mean i don't know if that's true i i found that he sam did actually come across as uh kind of vulnerable and guarded around iDubs when he, he kind of was, I think, a little bit uh, nervous around him or I don't want to say in awe of him, but he knew how powerful iDubs is. And so I felt like, I don't know, it was really weird just to see them both together like that. But I don't know, hopefully yeah. he makes more stuff. I guess my my parting thought on on this is that I thought they should have used the girlfriend, the fake girlfriend more. She yeah, she was good. She didn't get enough uh, lines. Absolutely, that was the biggest thing. I, although girl. I really enjoyed the uh, when they were talking about ghosts at the gun range. The stupid ghost hunter shtick. Oh, and then uh, the other thing I was going to talk about is just the size difference between Sam Hyde and Idubs, and like that's kind of a good part of the Sam Hyde just comedy is his <laughs> like just physical stature. Like he's just so big and towers Tower over everyone. Sitting in that dingy basement, leaning forward, like he's being about to waterboard him or something. <laughs> when he goes boxing yeah. under the bridge, he's just like totally like <laughs> knocking him across, like sends him flying like five feet and I dubs can barely make a move. Yeah, it's like oh, uh, Trump and Hillary on stage when Trump was just like standing behind her like this monster the whole time. <laughs> yeah. All right. So from one, uh, is, is iconoclast the right word? From one iconoclast comedian to the next, we we'll we'll now talk about uh, about Dirty Work, the uh, 1998 film directed by none other than the recently departed. Bob Saget, I wanted to check in with each of you about your your history with the movie. Just when did you see it, if you remember, and what was your like initial uh, experience with it? Well, I can share mine. I do remember. Um, this was one of those movies. I uh, I loved all of those '90s uh, Saturday Night Live comedies. I was. A teenager in the 90s and uh, uh, loved all of the, you know, the crappy Adam Sandler, Billy Madison, and uh, what was the other one? Happy Gilmore, Wayne's World, stuff like that. Um, I loved Norm MacDonald, but I never saw, in 1998, I don't know how this is possible, but I never saw Dirty Work when it initially came out. And I was working like in a movie theater at the time, so I saw literally everything that was out for there's like a two or three year stretch where i watched every movie uh, but i missed dirty work 
because I think it was only in the theater for like five days. But when I came, uh, when I returned home from serving a mission, I enrolled at BYU Idaho, and uh, thankfully I had some wonderful roommates who we all gathered round, had a a boys' night in, and enjoyed the cinematic masterpiece of Dirty Work. And I remember, <laughs> I remember just uh, laughing. Uh, uh, realizing that I had uh, missed out quite a lot. And it became one of those movies that we just watched all the time or just had it on in the background because it, it was a comforting, funny thing. That's kind of my history with it. Yeah, I, I'm a little younger, but I was a fan of all the SNL movies, mainly for like the, uh, you know, poop jokes or things like that from Happy Gilmore, or Billy Madison and stuff like that. But I, I would watch SNL like a lot as a kid. And I liked Norm MacDonald, especially. Um, so like me and, and the ones I remember the most was his David Letterman impression, where he, he'd just repeat the same joke over and over again. He'd say, <laughs> you got any gum? <laughs> and like, he just kept saying, you got any gum? I remember that. Um, yeah, that, so like that sticks with me from when I was a kid. And then like also, he did one where uh, uh, he could, it was Matthew Perry was the host and they did like a sarcasm 101 class. And like Norm was the character who couldn't do sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> and so he would be like, they, they would just say like, could you be any funnier? Like that, that was like the yeah. Matthew Perry style <laughs> sarcasm. And so then Norm McDonald's like, uh, could I not? want to have sex with you and they're, they're like what he's like i mean i want to have sex with that girl <laughs> and so anyway like i always oh, remembered man. those skits and so i was a big like norm mcdonald fan since i was a kid and so when dirty work came out i don't know if i saw it in theaters just because i don't know but um i definitely like we had it on like vhs and then uh, uh dvd shortly thereafter but yeah yeah, I, I definitely didn't see it in a theater. I don't I don't quite know when I first did, but I, I'm pretty sure I had so I had this friend who uh he you know he had like he had like the best cable package you could have. Um so I saw a lot of movies with him. He was really into the uh like physical comedy, any like like really slapstick stuff that stuff parts of movies that would not would not even occur to me to laugh, like and Dirty Work has a lot of these moments, you know, where like Norm is getting tossed out of a building, which happens, you know, like six times in the movie. He gets thrown on the street. That sort of stuff. Yeah. To me, to me, that's like, okay, you put that in the movie, but it's not actually funny. It's like, uh, you know, it's just like a, it's like to say this is a comedy movie, but personally, I never laugh at parts like that. But this friend would, he would, uh, he would laugh really hard. And, and, you know, it's a phrase people will say like, oh, you, uh, you know, I'm peeing my pants laughing. This friend literally would, uh, you know, we're like 14, 15, but he would, he'd like pee his pants all the time. I don't know exactly why, but this was one of those movies where he was doing that all the time. So we watched it like probably 20 or 30 times. And um, I remember like, like, I remember thinking it was, it was actually quite smart. And like, I, you know, I like the sort of norm style of like misdirection jokes where he like says something serious and then, and then quit immediately like, uh, goes another direction 
Um, and I think my friend probably didn't care about any of those. He just liked watching like Artie Lane get punched in the, in his, in his fat stomach or getting, watching Norm get thrown through a window. Like he thought all that stuff was like brilliant and he would laugh his head off. <laughs> it is good. It's truly Shakespearean and high and low humor. I, uh, one of my, one of my memories of, uh, Norm Macdonald from SNL is, uh, uh I was in high school with the, the OJ Simpson trial and uh it felt like i now i actually don't know but it felt like it went on for several years and uh i even remember in class when they uh the verdict was being announced my one of my english teachers or someone uh had to wheel out a tv we had to stop all learning so that we could watch the oj simpson verdict and i recall on saturday night live that week talking about uh norm mcdonald you can see all the compilations i mean it's probably why he got fired from snl but he loved making fun of oj simpson and saying he was a murderer which i felt like everyone knew back then everyone was fully aware that he did it but for some reason on tv i guess you, you couldn't joke about that as much not, not overtly anyway yeah and um yeah, that's definitely kind of a big part of Norm's entire career is the OJ jokes. Yes. Well, and, and the I, Clinton I remember, jokes, I think, played a part in him getting fired. Yes. Uh, yes, it's just like saying that, you know, you can be funny, but you have to stay the certain things you just can't say. And um, I recall a red pill moment for me was when, um, was when Norm MacDonald said something like, okay, the trial's over, and now OJ can start his search for the real killer. And that was the joke. And it just like, it unlocked something in my brain because this whole time, you know, I like to joke about him being, being uh, innocent. And, you know, I thought it was actually kind of funny the way that he was found not guilty because it was so insane to me. But then when I heard him make that joke about how he was going to go start his search for the true killer, um, it was almost a, a very sobering moment because I realized, well, there, there is no real killer. OJ was the real killer. He's the one who did it, and he just got away with murder. So it was like this uh, moment where I just witnessed on, I don't know, national on a national stage that you can get away with, with murdering someone. Yeah, and Norm so, made that clear. <laughs> yeah, the, the OJ jokes were, were definitely why, like the main reason he got fired, because an NBC exec, I think it was uh, Don Olmeyer, I think is his name, was personal friends with OJ, and he had asked, he had asked like Lauren Michaels and Norm to stop doing the OJ jokes. And I, you know, Lauren or Norm, maybe they'd agreed or, or whatever they would agree, but then Norm would just keep doing it. Um, and yeah, like you say, if you go on YouTube, there's like, it's at least like 10 minutes long. You can find the compilations of, and, and you know, 10 minute jokes. It's like 10 minutes of like 30 second jokes. So he was, that's, you know, he was making tons of them. And, uh, <laughs> and not, not only did it get him fired from SNL, it impacted dirty work because mm. they were initially supposed to um it was initially supposed to come out in like a february february of 98 or something I, th I think which is like the time of year when you release this kind of movie because you don't want you don't want like a small a small comedy going up against summer blockbusters and so but that as i understand it the same nbc guy uh kept maneuvering to get the film pushed into summer um so it performed much much worse than it probably would have otherwise not that it was like ever gonna it probably was never gonna be a big hit but the the oj jokes that got him fired also got the movie delayed but then oddly enough you know they brought him they brought him back to snl to promote the movie and there's you know there's a pretty 
a pretty classic bit where he's doing the monologue about how he's just like nine months ago, I wasn't funny enough to be on the show, but now I'm funny enough to host the show. And, and I don't know, you can go look it up, but it's, it's one of his, uh, one of his best. Yeah. Bits. And he's like, so that either means <laughs> I've gotten funnier, which I don't think has happened or the show has gotten worse. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I was going to, I was going to yeah. try it, but I, I would have stepped on it. I think that's pretty much exactly what he said. Yeah, and also um, I was watching some uh, clip shows of, like, Bob and Norm, uh, like, um, uh, I want to say shilling, shilling the film. Um, And uh, they apparently were saying that Don Omeyer wouldn't um, allow NBC to advertise the film either. Oh, wow. So, like, they wouldn't run any commercials for it on, on the entire network. Yeah. And then he ended up getting, he ended up like getting fired or resigning kind of around that same time. Uh, Yeah. I think prior to him coming back to host SNL. Yeah. And yeah, like on his interviews after he got fired on like Letterman, he was like, yeah, he called me into his office and he told me I'm not funny. And I was like, oh, that's bad news. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I wanted to, uh, you guys both know how the site Rotten Tomatoes works. Okay. So I want to do. Um, I don't think I don't think Giordano heard this this bit yet, but but Haas knows what's mm. coming. So just using your you know estimation powers, what would you say was the 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 Rotten Tomatoes critic score for Dirty Work? And you can you can maybe show your work as to how you're arriving at your conclusion. <laughs> well, it seems pretty easy. I mean, I, I recently we rewatched it, and I'm gonna say. Rotten Tomato score of uh, has a zero percent freshness rating. <laughs> for, the, so I, for, I the, for the critics, <laughs> for the critics, yes. Uh, I think it's higher uh, if we're playing uh, card sharks. <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're playing Price is Right rules, you go yeah. higher than zero. I'll go one dollar. <laughs> you're <Bob>. gonna say <laughs> one dollar. You know, I have the DVD, and there is a a pull quote on the back. This is dirty work is rich with belly laughs from Time Out. Although if that's out of context, I don't know what the rest of Time Out's review was. <laughs> yeah, see, I would guess it's it's around like the 50s. <laughs> okay. I'm sticking with zero. So, okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, <it's> okay. <laughs> so for Jer- under, under Price is Right rules, Giordano wins. Actually, under any rules, Giordano oh. wins. Oh, <laughs> the, the, uh, I didn't score, cheat. I promise. The score is fourteen. You, I mean, you didn't you didn't get it right on it. 14? fourteen. Yeah, fourteen critics. Wow. Dang. But now round two is the uh, audience score. What do you guys think that is? Well, that because who would sign in to their profile on Rotten Tomatoes to rate Dirty Work unless you were a huge fan already? So that's going to be like ninety-seven. I'm going to go 75. <laughs> All right. Haas takes this round. Oh. It's 66. Okay. Uh, I would, 66. I would, to that point, though, Giordano, I would say a lot of people, I think, log in just to express their opinion no matter what. Like, they don't necessarily... Like, That's people, true. People go to uh, great lengths to uh, express their opinion about things they don't feel passionately about. But That's 66 true. is pretty good. When, and I think this is like... That captures, I think, there's the, the love that is out there for this movie. Like, a lot of people really like this. 
like and one thing too is like i know now we have just so many more competing sources competing sources for our attention and so movies now don't feel nearly as quotable like remember i don't know if you guys remember but it seemed like growing up like the quotability of a movie was like a big deal and like kids who could quote lots of parts of movies that was like kind of a cool thing yeah that was me yeah you were like the movie quoting kid (laughs) oh man (laughs) probably not but somewhat like definitely our friend group would like you know we'd have to quote uh tom green chris farley and and uh you know all the all the classics yeah it was a big part of like it was like a it was a signal that you would for certain friend groups like to just show that you were actually you know you were read in you knew like the the secret handshake sort of thing you had to be able to quote certain things from certain movies so quotability was a big deal this i i felt like this movie was quoted a lot and Mm -hmm. it only made 10 million dollars so in mm. the theater, mm. not a lot of people saw it. But. Yeah, I think I, I knew it was more of a cult hit that it kind of didn't work out in theaters. But yeah. like it, it, like it, it's punching way above its weight for $10 million of how long it's been remembered. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of lines from this movie that I feel like, and people may not even realize that they come from this movie. But, um, but yeah, I feel like it comes up all the time. Um, on quotability of movies, yeah, there, there's kind of like 90s comedies. And then like there was kind of a shift, I want to say around like old school maybe and beyond like when like the rated R comedy became big. Oh, yeah. Anch- Anchorman was like the um, – which yes, I don't yes. I don't like, but I was, I was a, a missionary in 2004 and yeah. – Man, everyone was quoting Anchorman. That was uh, that was really annoying to me. But that one like took mm-hmm. took guys by storm. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like comedies kind of changed where like they had to be either like super absurd or just like dark comedies or something. Whereas like in the nineties, it was like the son has to go back to school to win his father's fortune. Like it was you know very like there's a, some kind of premise. But it's essentially just a way for whichever comedian it is to do their bits in a movie. Yeah, I, I wonder if the creative process for them is like, okay, think of 10 skits, and then how can we yeah. fit them all into one storyline? Right. Yeah. And so there for Dirty Work... shift like you guys were saying, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, for Dirty Work, the premise was they do pranks for a good cause. Right. Yeah. Their uh, Their whole premise was just like, it's... I mean, they they just wanted to do find a reason to shave a bearded woman, the bearded lady, at the circus. Norm thought it would be hilarious if you shaved the bearded lady's beard off, and ruined her career. And then she wakes up, and they found like some beautiful actress. <laughs> Was that Rebecca Remains Stamos or something? I'm not sure. They, yeah. Like, what if she wakes up and she doesn't have a beard and her life is ruined? Like, there's no way to put that in. There's no plot for that. You know to work <laughs> but you know they, they found one uh doing uh right. doing tricks on people right yeah uh, does anyone want to do a quick a quick summary of of the movie itself i i can do it but or, or whoever i think you do it you do it sure yes, yeah yes. so so and I, and I watched it like two days ago so it's pretty fresh so you know basically there's you got these two friends sam and mitch and they're they're always kind of bullied and they, they like to use elaborate pranks as a way to get back at their bullies going way back to elementary school. 
Um, they grow up. They're both losers. Mitch's parents, I guess, are like both dead. He never had a dad. What did I say the other one's name was? Sam? Sam and Mitch? Was that it? Or Yeah. Yeah. And then so Sam, who's played by Artie Lang. Mitch, who's played by Norm MacDonald. Uh, they're, they're, they both appear to be like coming up on 40 or around 40. But <laughs> in the logic of like 90s comedies, that's that's okay. Sam lives with his dad. And the dad needs uh, a heart transplant, I think. Chevy Chase is the, the, the dad's doctor. He says, I can get you the heart transplant, but you need to get me $50,000. I have a gambling problem. If I can pay off my debts, then I can work some behind the scenes magic and get your dad the heart. So they, uh, both guys down on their luck, realize that their, their real talent and passion is uh, elaborate pranks for getting revenge. They start this company, Dirty Work. Dirty Work becomes a vehicle for Mitch to meet the girl of his dreams um, and win her her affection. And then uh, they pull some some epic pranks and then they win. And the, the dad, the dad gets his heart, right? Yeah, he gets the heart in the end. And there's the conflict of did the pranks go too far? And then he redeems himself. Yeah. So One he, final prank. He almost loses the girl because, because of his pranks, but then he uses pranks to win her back. Classic. And one thing I always forget about this film is Chevy Chase, his incredible cameo or, or character of the doctor who is in debt and he's like selling hospital beds and stuff and trying to make money. Yeah, which so he's he's in that because of gambling, subplot. sports gambling. Yes, and Norm in real life is a gambling addict. Um, yes, that's right. He, right, he tons of his money on on sports betting. The Chevy Chase scenes I always thought were just like really funny, um, but I always forget about them. Well, the the entire premise is funny to me too because uh, they're going to these lengths to save the dad who <laughs> is an old guy anyway. And he's extremely undeserving to like to be uh, to get priority on like the donor list. Like he's a, a, he's actually really uh, not someone that you'd want to uh, make any special effort to to save. And Mitch doesn't even really like him. <laughs> like oh, the and then I guess so. I left. The, I guess I missed the big part of the plot too. The Sam twist, and Mitch are, are actually twist. brothers. Yeah. <laughs> so the subtext of this then is they're saving this old man by going through a corrupt doctor who's like bumping some more deserving transplant recipient like down the list and putting this low value guy up at the top of the list so it's actually kind of horrific yeah and then and the doctor dies in the end anyway the uh <laughs> yeah, yeah so he's dead the loan sharks kill him after he gives him the money <laughs> wasn't that is that the, the, the last like line the last the line of the movie yeah <laughs> uh Bob Saget. Along the way, so it's one. a vehicle for you know yeah. ske sketches and and zingers, uh, and there's some good ones. Um, uh, first, I'll, I wanted to touch on. Um, there's quite a few jokes in that movie. So it's 1998. It's a little over 20 years old. There's quite a lot in there that, I mean, I, I'll say you couldn't do it now, but I mean, you you still could somewhere, but. You couldn't do it now, like in an SNL movie. I, I don't even know if SNL movies are still a thing. You couldn't do them now on like on a mainstream movie that had like household names like um, Chris Farley in the movie. Um, like like what? So there's there's quite a few. Like so like there's the there's the babysitter 
uh, they took a picture of the babysitter on the bath <laughs> and their kids. Oh. And, they, they, and he's, he's like that picture. Uh, like he's like, I still, you know, think back on that picture and they, and they show the picture. It's not like, it's not explicit really, but um, like you, you wouldn't do that now. You wouldn't have uh, an underage a reference to like underage girl or anything like that. The movie like, is like a year, it comes out like a year before Columbine. And one of the pranks is that they plant guns in a kid's desk. And so the kid gets oh, arrested. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they would do oh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but maybe not. Another aspect of this movie is that homosexuality is a punchline quite a few times. They have, they have gay dogs. Uh, he goes to prison where he's, he's prison rape. And just uh, the men in black, they do the, the sabotage of the movie theater. Oh, so, yeah. Well, hey, I, that I, alien looks, <laughs> he looks a lot like a hot guy. Yeah, we better go have sex with it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, the, and there's, there's probably quite a few more throughout the movie where, where homosexuality is a punchline, which is... I don't. I mean, I don't know. Do they still do? I I, I don't see a lot of comedies anymore because they. No, you can't com- do it anymore. Comedies moved to just like YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and stuff, but and Twitter. Jump in here if you think of any others, but I have a few. I have a few more. When when Don Rickles is giving them the rundown at the theater, he, he's like, "If if you screw this up, I'll I'll send you to Kuwait." And then he does like the Allahu Akbar. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. noises. Probably wouldn't. But that's Don anymore. Rickles. Don Rickles is old enough to get away with it, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. Maybe they'd still do the dead hookers joke. That's kind of like one of the main, that's like one of the main jokes of the movie. But, and then. Sex work is work. So. <laughs> yeah. Look, look at all these dead. So I don't know. About right. And then like. Trans sex workers. With the. With the uh, Legitimate sex lady. workers. And then uh, Chris Farley tells tells a girl was he says like shut your cake hole Yoko, I don't know. Yeah, do that. I don't calls know her a Saigon that. whore to yeah. bit his nose off. <laughs> so there's quite a few in there. This uh, goes to comedy. This is like I have a theory about comedy now. Is so much of it seems to be just bathroom humor, um, far more than it used to be. But like, you know. Of course, there's always been, you know, fart jokes, poop jokes, and stuff like that. But now it feels like for adults, all jokes have to be either about scatological or just explicitly pornographic, like really, really dirty, or about uh, some other kind of bodily function. And I wondered for the longest time why this was, and it's because uh, that's really, that's the only taboo thing that's left that isn't really politically incorrect in any way so that's why you kind of don't let's well, yeah i mean who took, the, stuff. who took the place of these movies it's like seth rogan right well i was gonna say like bridesmaids yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah so yeah so apatow apatow and, and seth yeah rogan. the uh what's the the hangover the hangover mm-hmm. uh, those types of like like hard r really dirty um oh. yeah a lot of swearing yeah sex yeah so dirty work was uh dirty work was supposed to be r that's what norm and bob had tried to do but i think you know obviously the convention of the 90s was the pg-13 snl comedy um Mm -hmm. and this movie was probably already projected to be a bit of a wasn't going to be a big hit so they uh, the studio made them undo some of the jokes did you hear the inside scoop on that um, I, I recall there was supposed to be some scene where Norm and Artie are naked, but I don't know. Okay. So the inside scoop is, um, I don't know if, 
um, Bob Saget went on like Stern or just was talking to Artie Lang after Norm died. And he said that a couple weeks before Norm died, he was talking to Norm about releasing the rated R cut of Dirty Work. And they were going to do it. They were going to go back to the, the footage. And what happened was they said they were missing like seven minutes of footage that they needed for it. But like Norm was like on board to help with like the re-release of the of Dirty Work in an extended like R-rated cut. Oh, I, I did not hear that. And then, so yeah, Pete so it was very Bob sad. Saget. Oh, so they got taken out because they were going to release mm-hmm. this. Like there's something in that seven minutes that's like, it's like Eyes Wide Shut, Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, that. supposedly they said that there was some kind of donut scene, which I can, I guess you can let your imagination go on that one. But he also said that they they like ADSed out a um, a joke when in the, the jail scene when he comes back and he's like, way out of line, way out of line. <laughs> I have a good mind to call the warden about this. He's like, you know what hurt the most? The lack of respect. Well, the, the other thing that hurt, hurt the most. So they changed it to the other thing, but in the original cut, he said the anal rape, that hurt the most. (laughs) And so they cut out anal rape and they were going to put it back in. The uh, (laughs) rape jokes, never Mm -hmm. funny. Well, maybe maybe in that seven minutes, there was um, information that would lead to the arrest of Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he did do jokes about that on The View. Did you guys see that one? Yeah. Yeah. That says uh, Bill Clinton is that guy murdered people. <laughs> yeah, he's like referencing Whitewater, and he's like, "Well, yeah, the president murdered a guy." And, yeah, and, and he's like, they, "What? I thought it was settled history." They're having a gen. They're having like a panic, like yeah, uh, like Barbara Walters is freaking out, and it's like so good. Yeah, he comes. He comes on and just completely dominates their segment, and presumably it was like live. I guess I don't know, or at least a live audience, and he's just completely wrecking mm-hmm. the show. Yeah, and he he would do that often. He'd he'd lie to the pre-interviewer and uh, tell them fake stories. So then they'd be like, "Hey, tell us about the the pair of pants you bought." And then he'd be like, "Oh no, I don't. I didn't buy a pair of pants." And then the interviewer would be like, uh, <laughs> "Like wanting to hear some story that he had told the person, but it was just a lie." All right, so I have a not a theory, but a another lens with which to view this movie, which is this is really. Uh, a continuation of the and, and it's so good it's good that both of you are here because this is a continuation of the nord versus med theme oh and, i didn't and, even know this well the the movie is really sam and mitch are like they're they are pawns in the prox in a, in a war between the guy the guy shooter mcgavin uh, and his name's chris mcdonald Chris McDonald and the, the, the landlord, Kirkpatrick. So his name's Kirkpatrick, which is like an Irish name, but the actor is Armenian. And yeah, very swarthy. Yeah. Yes. Like my uh, grandfather. Yeah, he speaks, <laughs> he's, he speaks in an accented English, and, and obviously Chris McDonald is Northern European. So it's really a movie about those two, about their... <laughs> uh, about uh you know the realist the 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 hard-hitting world of real Mm. estate whatever fake canadian town this is because it's filmed like in ontario i think uh which by the way it's a very weird town that they can support 
uh, an opera and fill the seats, but also the streets look like kind of like a Hallmark movie. So it's a it's some some sort of weird uh, weird place. But so that's that's the the movie is truly a a, a Nord versus Med movie. <laughs> a lot of hookers too. For such a small <laughs> yeah, they had they had yeah, a lot of hookers lot. that looked very healthy. Like forty hookers, yeah, forty hookers showed up uh, to the casting call. So this is the Nord versus Med, but uh, uh, I don't know enough about the. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not sure if I'm. Uh, all I can say is that Norm seems to represent the uh, if he's if he's on the side of the Med archetype. Norm is representing the uh, the sort of a playful trickster gods, uh, the uh, the the jester, if you will, the uh, the fool, and I feel like that's more of a a Mediterranean archetype than the sort of uh, work ethic, um, hardworking uh, straight arrow Nord thing. But I don't really know what else to say about it, though. Yeah, um, so, someone who knows a little more than me needs to do a deep ethnic analysis of this movie. <laughs> we need to get uh, that one guy, the Elder Futhark, <laughs> on here. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't thought of the Nord v. Med angle before, so I'm, I'm still processing it. I, I, don't know. I, don't, I, I don't get why they call him Kirkpatrick. <laughs> that guy that's, not, that's a joke. Maybe that's a joke. I don't know. That guy would not be named Kirkpatrick. He's he's Kirk obviously. Patrick, I mean, yeah. his real name is like uh, is like Harant Azul or something. Right. They probably named the character when they were writing, and then cast that guy, and we're just like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> they just thought it was a, sounded like a funny name of somebody who would punch you in the stomach. Mm-hmm. That's, that's like something. Well, yeah. I mean, do. the 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 like the uh, the ethnic um, landlord is you know is a is kind of a thing you know in America like the. Um, mm-hmm. the Eastern European or Armenian landlord or something is, is a thing or like the, you know, the Greek restaurant guy or that sort of, um, that sort of thing. But, um, but yeah, I don't know why they go with that name Kirkpatrick, um, on, on the topic of like ethnic analysis though, <laughs> nor with the pizza guy, Norm tries to, uh, excuse his late pizza delivery by saying, like, you know, those guys were calling you sweaty Italians. Uh, he's like, tell, tell those sweaty Italians, you know, like. And then there's also, uh, there's, there's mobsters in the movie. There's, like, uh, Italian mobsters. Oh, yeah. It's like um, Norm, you know, Italians and Armenians and stuff, that's kind of one of the very few uh, ethnicities that you can safely um, show or lampoon without people really getting upset about it. And I'm sure Norm would do more if he could, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Norm just, he, he, <laughs> he always seems like actually such a nice person. Um, he always struck me as a kind of the, like the funnier guy that makes all of the other comedians laugh, but maybe is, uh, comes across as a little too, too weird, weird for normies. Oh yeah. He's absolutely like so, comedian's comedian. Yeah. So I wonder if he just, um, you know, like this stuff like uh, an Armenian named Kirkpatrick or making fun of Italians. It just seems like stuff that would be funny just to Norm MacDonald himself. Yeah, he's absolutely someone who would put jokes in that are that are only for himself. Mm-hmm. My my novel take on this one was going to be that um, Norm's character and probably Norm himself were like the original troll. 
it's basically like trolling as a job. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, on that, and, yeah, and yeah. So like maybe that's why there's an affinity for Norm because <laughs> like yeah, he's just like messes with people for fun and like um, does it to like advertise himself in a way too. Like it, it's it's very reminiscent of like modern day trolling. Yeah, he was absolutely a troll. I mean, that, you know, with the, like the OJ stuff and um, just his like behavior on, on SNL, uh-huh. uh, always doing things that he was asked not to do and, or, or jokes, putting things in a jokey way that you'd have to, you'd have to think hard enough about what he was really saying to, to get the joke and be offended. But if you, if you got to that point, you, you probably already agreed with him. Have you, have you heard of his feud with Chris Kattan? No, remind me of so this feud. Ba- basically, he disliked Chris Kattan a lot and thought he wasn't very funny because he just kind of like, you know, was like a more physical comedy guy. Didn't really like have any writing chops or. Anything. And then didn't didn't Norm call him gay a bunch of times? Right. So like that was a a big thing. He was insecure about like being called gay. He really didn't like being. Co- and I thought Chris Kattan was gay. I don't know if he is now or not yet or whatever. But anyway. Um, he, but he said for one episode, there was some like hot girl hosting and like Chris Kattan was like trying to like impress her and, and, uh, you know, wanted to be the funniest around her and all this stuff. And then, um, they were rehearsing it and like, they do like three or four rehearsals prior to the show. And basically Norm like was pretending like he, he, it was a twilight zone sketch. And he was like pretending like he couldn't do the acting. So he just kind of like read through the words really fast. And then Chris Kattan was like getting really upset at him. Like, come on, you got to do it good. Like this is my one chance, like to be, to be in this skit with this girl or whatever. <laughs> and so then um, they're, they're like going live and he's like, come on, man, don't mess this up for me. And then uh, I basically Norm like turns to the, the host, the girl, and he's like, you know he's gay right right before they cut to the like lives uh <laughs> skit and then he goes totally serious and like does his like acting where he's like the host of uh twilight zone and he's like in a world and like does it perfectly no problem and then chris pan's all flustered because he said you know she you know he's gay right right yeah. before it went on i felt so, like he did these kind of like pranks in real life too so it seems like it's <laughs> it's part of his his being. Yeah. And I felt bad for, I actually felt bad for Chris Kattan because he was on some show like the day after Norm died or something. And, and they asked him about it and, you know, they wanted a statement of, you know, just like, don't you feel bad sort of thing. And, and Chris Kattan gave, gave that statement. He's just like, yeah, Norm was, was great. And we were friends and all that. And I felt bad for him though. Cause I could tell he was like faking it. He didn't really, he didn't like mm. it. Eh, Chris Kattan kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> although I did watch Night at the Roxbury. Um, all those SNL comedies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's another one I heard that he did to Bob Saget during the filming of this. Uh, so like Artie Lang bought like a brand new, like fancy uh, Cadillac. And Bob Saget like asked if he could borrow it or something. And then he ended up like ramming the tire into a big pothole or like there was a manhole cover with that was open 
And so he flat, like got a flat tire and like almost ruined the, the wheel or whatever. So they had to call like a tow truck. And when the tow truck came out, um, uh, Norm goes to Bob and is like, hey, the, the tow truck guy says he wants your autograph for his kids, you know, for, from Full House. And he's like, oh, okay. So like at the end when he goes up to like the, the foreign tow truck guy and is like, oh, and what, what do you want me to sign? And he's like, no, $50. <laughs> and he's like, no, I have to sign something for your kids. And he's like, I, no, I, I want your money. No, don't, don't sign. And so Norm just totally made it up. It was <laughs> to make Bob look like an idiot. Um, Jordana, you, you, before we started, you were telling me you'd done some, uh, Mm. a deep dive on bob saget and i, I hadn't i had I'd watched uh, 30 work and i'd read about 30 work but i hadn't really looked much into uh to bob uh what anything interesting you learned well you know the deep dive is just basically my my life my lived experience of growing up watching uh full house and uh america's funniest home videos for many many years and uh, I always just found him to be, I actually, there was a long period of time where um, Bob Saget, like uh, I loathed him so much. Like I hated him. Like, uh, and this is, you know, in my childhood. Um, I don't know why you were, I- You were an anti-Saget. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, I was definitely anti-Saget. I remember watching Full House uh, every, every Friday night on TGIF. It was the first show lineup. Um, I don't remember ever laughing or even smiling uh, at any of the jokes. I just felt like it was something that we as children were just supposed to watch. And uh, I watched this show, you know, dutifully for years. Um, it was awful. And then America's Funniest Home Videos came out. And I just remember like this resentment growing inside of me towards Bob Saget. I just I, start, I I hated him like more and more of his stupid jokes and his little voices that he would do over the voiceovers for the, the silly videos and um this is a true story like I caught to the point where I remember sitting down and and like writing a I don't know if it was a sci-fi piece this is probably I'm I'm glad I didn't show this to my parents but I was like what if they could invent a software that you could uh pick any celebrity or something from from tv and then you can just like uh simulate torturing them or shooting them and uh th and i i had this whole idea in my mind of, of developing this just over bob saget because i hated him so much um but uh then when i saw dirty work it said in the credits directed by bob saget and i was just like floored by this and i I remember telling my roommates at the time, like, what, what, Bob Saget? Like, the Bob Saget? And of course, none of them had any idea what I was talking about, because they weren't, you know, like Asperger's like me about every piece of media they've ever watched. And so I I actually, like, it, like a light switch flipped in my head, I, I suddenly loved him now, because, like, to make this movie after all those years of, of that stupid, uh, you know, the voiceovers and stuff, he just became like a, he was like a god to me in my head. It was so funny. And in fact, um, when he did, when Norm MacDonald did the roast of Bob Saget, if you ever saw Bob Saget had like a roast on Comedy Central in yeah. the early 2000s, yeah. I think. A classic. I, I, when I watched that on, on YouTube, I think that was 
one of those moments like I had never laughed so hard in my adult life. And it's hard to explain to outsiders what made that so funny. But essentially, if you haven't seen it, Norm MacDonald comes out and starts just reading a list of the lamest, dumbest jokes possible to insult Bob Saget. And the jokes are like not funny. They're ancient and they're not very insulting. Yeah, it's like stuff like and uh, like he drives too slow <laughs> sort of things. He actually got them out yeah. of like a joke book. Like he didn't even write them. <laughs> I I heard once uh, in the comments section or something that somebody Googled like jokes to tell at a roast and that they found Norm MacDonald's list on a Yahoo Answers and that he just <laughs> printed them and read them verbatim. Right. Um, <laughs> it's like, that's not all that you have in common with Rin Tin Tin. And like, no one was laughing, no one, but like, I was just laughing so hard. Well, the, the people on and, the uh, stage were laughing, but nobody in the audience yes, was laughing. Yeah, yeah like the great, I think they were just Geraldo's bewildered. there, like, he gets it, and some of those other guys kind of get it. Yeah. So uh, Bob Saget fully redeemed himself. I think he, I've heard that he, I don't know if it was, I mean, I'm sure that he was happy to collect, you know, a paycheck and have steady work for all those years, but he often, I had heard that he, uh, he just, you know, did the whole uh, dirty comedian thing, you know, as a uh, pushing back against his, his squeaky clean image. Well, I think he like had dirty humor prior to that. Cause as I understand it, he like did stand up comedy or something like prior oh. to being an actor. Cause I think that's like the way you became a comic actor back in the day. Right. Like you had to have been a comedian. Oh. Yeah, I'm sure he, I'm sure he was. I, so I think I had this thing with Bob Saget where I was aware of him from Full House, of course, and and AFB. And then periodically you'd, you'd see these glimpses into his like more uh, his his blue material. And it annoyed me because I thought he was I thought his I thought the bit he was trying to do was um, I'm the squeaky clean America's dad but now I'm doing neo-naughty jokes, um, which I didn't love the comedy anyway, but I thought, I thought that's what he was trying to do. But then I think I, I kind of pieced it together later that that's just who he always was. Like the, the full house was just him getting paid. Like he just got this opportunity. So he took it and got paid, but that wasn't, but before that he was dirty. Then he did his, then he did his network TV stuff. And then he went back to being dirty. I see. Right, because like Norm on his podcast talks about it a lot, how like some comedians, and I think this is why he like didn't like Chris Kattan, like some comedians, their goal is to act in movies. And, but for like Norm and for others, they acted in movies and did TV to kind of pay the bills for them to be able to keep doing comedy. Mm -hmm. And so right. I think I think like that's kind of the distinction we're like, yeah, like I think a lot of comedians end up doing, you know, whatever movie they're cast in just because that's what you do to like make money and get famous and then be able to do what you actually want. Now, one thing about Bob Saget's his directorial uh, filmography, as far as I know, he only did one other movie in what was that? 2006. Uh, mm. The Farce of the Penguins. <laughs> um, uh. I think that's riding the wave of the March of the Penguins popularity. He made a 
security film and documentary yes wow <laughs> so his two, his two directorial works are a penguin parody and then dirty work as far as i know i mean if he'd just done dirty work you know alone that would have enshrined him in the pantheon forever but but yeah i've not heard anything about uh farce of the penguins um <laughs> speaking of uh norm and stuff and who like he, whether he's a comedian's comedian or whatever the thing i've noticed is anyone who i think is cool was like a big norm mcdonald fan and this goes from like people i just th- know in real life that i just thought were cool people to like celebrities or whatever and then people who i never really liked they all uh disliked norm mcdonald so like or like did not know about him and so like at my uh job i was like oh did you guys hear norm mcdonald died and they were like who and i'm like oh (laughs) um never mind (laughs) yeah he's a good he's a good filter very good yeah yeah so i i think he's a very good filter because like even people who you may like disagree with or whatever if they like norm mcdonald you know they at least get get comedy or whatever but yeah What's what's interesting about Norm, and and we we'll get back to uh, to Dirty Work because there's more I wanted to talk about there. But what's interesting about Norm is that he, uh, like YouTube, brought like this second life to his um, his material. There's so mm-hmm. there's so many Norm compilations on YouTube that they don't do crazy numbers, but a lot of them have like a million or a couple million views, um, and a lot of younger people got exposed to his stuff. Um, so he seemed to have like the last like five years of his life, he seemed to have a bit of a resurgence where people were starting to know who he was again. Well, yeah. So he did Norm McDonald live on YouTube as a YouTube podcast. I want to say, what was it like 2012 to 2014, something like that. And it was during the time that there was a bunch of shakeups in the late night game. And so he was doing it to try to win one of those late night shows, like, because Conan was switching and Seth Myers and, you know, all those people were getting put in and he was kind of vying <laughs> for it. And, and so he got kind of like a writing team together and started interviewing people. And that was kind of the idea. So I watched those when they were, they, they, it was called Norm McDonald live and they'd come, they'd come out live. Like it was a live uh, broadcast. And so some of them like ended up, they edited edited them very quickly because like the 9-11 joke he did with Nick Swartzen got edited out of the final version. But And they got kind of like taken down in their entirety um, when he sold the, sh- the show to Netflix. And so that was kind of lame because those are like really good if you can watch like the full versions of them. The yeah, uh, think- Norm MacDonald, the first episode with Super Dave Osborne it's like the pilot episode is that, <laughs> that is another one of those moments of my life i had never laughed so hard yeah it was just pure bliss for me and it's hard to explain what it, what it is but just him i mean the fact that i can't even explain it you guys just have to watch it on youtube i've seen but it yeah the, the uh yeah so you know norm <laughs> the him thinking that he can host a late night show like it's just absolutely it's just so ludicrous but um 
but yeah, it's just fantastic. I watched for the first time in many years, because um, I've been because I have uh, sick with uh, with what, uh, Omicron or whatever. I stayed up and I was watching some of the late night shows last night. Shoot, now I can't remember who who they all are. Colbert. Anyway, they're so yeah. I I watched Colbert and uh, the one SNL guy. Fallon. Myers. Oh my gosh, it was so dreadfully dull, boring. I mean, it was like like normie boomer humor, like stuff that you wouldn't even. It, it was it was so tame. It was stuff that was like like it reminded me of like. I don't even want to say, but it was it was it was just like a snooze fest, and I was just I mean, imagining Colbert, Norm in this role. Colbert yeah. is literally doing like Pfizer advertisements, like uh, <laughs> yeah, there's not jokes yeah. anymore. No, yeah, you mean, you know, but you know, like in like 1950s, uh, like TV shows mm-hmm. where they'd have like the commercial that was like part of the show, where like the the like the women would come out and dance and like say you know try uh, try like press yeah yeah um like colbert like is doing that for for like pfizer and people that they're just like clapping and and applauding this yeah it's just so it's 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 just nothing it's just like a bland nothingness i don't even know who it exists for or who watches it i've never heard of anyone that watches these things i think that they, they just exist as some sort of legacy media just boomer thing. white noise they just have it on yeah yeah it's like a- asmr but imagining like this like norm was the you know to bring it back to the sam hyde thing but he was the uh you know his show especially the early episodes but his podcast was like the mm-hmm. the mde of of talk shows yeah well, so. norm, one of my favorite norm. ones is the billy bob thornton one if you can find that one that's like so that's a, funny yes on the uh, yes. on the on the talk show thing, Norm and Letterman were, were kind of kindred spirits. Uh-huh. Uh, Letterman's a little more probably like a little more cooperative with like executives or something than, than Norm mm-hmm. ever would be. But uh, but they, they had a real love for each other. And if you ever go back and watch, uh, I think it's Letterman's last show. He Norm yeah. does, a, does a stand-up bit on there. And it's, it's very sweet. Yeah, and Letterman went to bat for Norm when he got fired. And... Um, I think similarly, uh, he did the same thing he does to all the talk shows where he like lied to the pre-interviewer the first time at Letterman. And then uh, Letterman was like so entertained by it that he, he kept having him come back on because he thought it was so funny. And, um, and but yeah, so yeah, he did the, the final episode, final like bit in the show where, yeah, he like broke down in tears. Because uh, Letterman was the first comedian that um, Norm ever saw live in Canada. Oh, that's right. I, I remember that. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump us back over to the movie. Although this is a good this is good stuff. I have a little list of. Wait. Like, wait what, what is this? Some kind of movie podcast? Well, yeah. <laughs> but genuinely, like you know, uh, like those Rogan episodes go like three or four hours, and uh, I'd be happy to do that, but. You know, no, yeah. the sponsors. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just <laughs> the sponsors have asked me to uh, to keep it tight. Yeah. Uh, today's sponsor is. <laughs> can you remind me, uh, Haas, who today's sponsor is? Was it? Um... It's Man Great. Man, yeah, it's man grilling, yeah. grilling Great. <laughs> you you have a father, right? <laughs> is everyone's father effing alive? Also, yeah. Also, um, uh, 
uh, Squarespace. Oh, Squarespace. Yeah, that's They're, right. Yeah, the guys at Squarespace are really concerned about um, these aimless podcasts. They want me to focus. So, um, <laughs> tighten it up. Yeah. So, okay. So, there's a couple, couple moments from the movie. Here's my best moment. Here's what I think are the best moments. You guys can tell me ones I'm not that I'm missing. Uh, it's like the first five minutes of the movie, but the uh, the guy with the hairy back who has Norm's shirt. Um, <laughs> that one always made me laugh so hard because <laughs> it's a really good sight gag. He you know, pulls off the shirt and it's like this, this guy's got a disgusting carpet of uh, like animal fur. Um, and, and Norm just says, I'll keep, keep it. I, I was talking to someone else. Um, and then... <laughs> I always like the gag with the the prank with the um, the cops at the frat house. For me, just the so image good. of the of the cops <laughs> of the cops using their clubs to just beat these kids um, was always very funny to me. <laughs> the drug I like the drug deal. That's one of my favorite scenes because something about Norm and uh, Artie are standing there with their fish, and the guys are like. Tell, describing how they're killing each other and he said one of the yeah, guys he took called, my chainsaw and he's yeah. using it on me he's killing me with a chainsaw it's, i mean it's it's, a, it's ridiculous but I, I think that's a very funny part and then my uh my favorite part of the movie and i think he kind of like steals the movie a bit is uh jim downey who he was like a long i think he was an snl writer I don't think he was a performer. I don't think he performed uh, on the state. Maybe he did, but anyway, he's one of the homeless guys that gets fired by by Travis Cole, and Norm or uh, Mitch, I guess, hires him to go and you know run around and cause a distraction. But then after then after that, when he's when he's giving him his money, the guy he's going into the story about how his life has gone off the rails, and Norm interrupts him. And he's like, anyway, here's your two dollars. <laughs> That's my favorite part of the movie. And I think I was going to say that one too. Yeah. But I think, I think Jim Downey kind of steals the movie. He's got a couple moments like that. And well, there's, there's yeah. like a subplot, right? Like, cause he starts out and he's working. <laughs> he's like the assistant of the super rich guy. And he's like with the bad guys and he ends up getting fired. And then like, you see him as one of the homeless guys standing outside the building. And then he's like telling his <laughs> tragic tale. This and, is... they just, and there's like music crescendoing. And then Norm's just like, here's your $2. <laughs> yeah and if you remember jim downey's the same guy who has probably the best moment in billy madison he's the you know he's the guy who's like at, at no point at no point did your ramblings make any sense i award you no point like he's that guy so and he's I, i've heard lifetime achievement award yeah i've heard some of these guys Sorry, um, <laughs> some of the snl guys they all they all say jim downey is like low-key the, mm -hmm. the the funniest guy like that that no one knows who he is, but he's he's uh, apparently one of the best. Norm was on a like a radio show with him. I think it was him. It may have been a different SNL writer, but I'm like ninety percent sure it's him. And he's like, "Can you name five uh, great uh, writers for SNL?" And he named like five men. And then he's like, "Can you name five women?" And he's like, "Sure, I can. No problem." And then he's like. Tina Fey, and then he like struggles to come up with four more, and then he's like, "Can you do 10? <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> "He's like, let's just move on." <laughs> yeah, that that guy, that guy's moment in Billy Madison is not 
now like memorialized as a meme forever. And then yeah, the gift posted also had that rant. Yeah, outstanding moment in dirty work as well. So pretty cool. So what uh, what other moments did I miss that you guys uh, particularly like? Um, definitely the prison scene. Chris Farley is is a low key good in it. Uh, one of my the one my brother always does is um, Nor uh, or Mitch the character Norm's character is talking about like how he's like needs a place to stay or something, <laughs> and then he and like he was like trying to act all nice. Then he's like, uh, "We have ghosts," <laughs> and he's like. <laughs> And he's like, no, I get it. I don't have to stay with you. And he's yeah. like, keeps going on, like trying to be like, no, don't come with me. Yeah, I'm still I'm living at the Y, and my roommate, he's uh, he's draining. He's got to drain his knee and stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah, we'll my check. brother always says we have ghosts. <laughs> the uh, one of the best moments. I don't know what it is that there's like three or four jokes that just hit so fast in that opening scene, but um. I I wish there was more context to quote this line when he's yelling at his girlfriend and he shouts up to her, oh, I could see you're very upset. Uh, maybe you'd feel better after we have some dirty sex. And I, I laugh at that line every time. <laughs> and uh, if you ever try to use that, um, it's not normally met with laughter, but to me in the <laughs> audience, it was hilarious. I also mm. really love when she's throwing all his stuff out and, and he's like, Hey, you're, you're, or you're just, what about, can I at least go get my stuff? And she says, well, you don't have any stuff. And he says, well, that's not true. I own a popcorn machine. <laughs> and I feel like that's the, the dumbest thing ever to own. And then, uh, and then and that gets thrown out the window. I mean, it's just like amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, she's yeah. the uh, um, Italian pizza guy's niece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, I mean, here's some more uh, ethnic analysis, but she's the, uh, <laughs> he, he starts the movie with an Italian GF and ends the movie with what I can only assume is like a, you know, Nordic GF. So make of that where you will. Hmm. The Italian um, would not put up with his shenanigans. Speaking of yeah. the, the Nord GF, one of my favorite uh, <laughs> parts of it is when he finds out that her grandma lives at the building he's supposed to be destroying. And so he thinks that the grandma is running a whorehouse, but she's actually (laughs) doing doing knitting um, or whatever, or like a sewing group. But uh, (laughs) uh, to get away from the situation, because he has to like go figure out what to do, he just goes, "Uh, I got to go lift weights. (laughs) <laughs> and then she says what and he says what at the same time because like he it's such an absurd excuse to get away from something so like i i sometimes use that when there's like an awkward you have to like get away from someone i'll be like uh i gotta go lift weights but like nobody else gets it so they're like oh okay you're going to the gym <laughs> uh, uh, that's funny all right a few uh, a few odds and ends i'm just gonna throw stuff out there feel free to throw any other like notes or something you have uh as i understand it this was farley's last movie he was like um almost heroes came out i think like right before this but mm. this is the last movie that Farley he died during the filming of that movie though yeah so he's mm. filming that one after but this one came out after mm. okay 
Um, and then Farley's brother is in the movie uh, when they're at the um, theater and Don Rickles is like dressing everyone down. Um, uh, Chris Farley's brother is the guy standing closest to, to Norm and Artie. Um, like the, he's another fat guy. Oh, something I like is Norm's clothing. He's probably like, he's like six, yes. two, he's like six, two, 160, 170. He's pretty, he's pretty thin, but his clothing is all like double and triple XL. It's all incredibly baggy. Yes. Like the, the best examples during the, uh, the hookers in the trunk scene. Mm-hmm. I, I, what is up with the bagginess of the clothing? Cause I, even as a teenager of the nineties, like a little bit of bagginess was to be, you know, understood that was the style but even i remember even it was way too baggy even for the time so it was like a style choice because then Artie lang also had everything he wore was like three sizes too small yeah i think norm just generally wore really big clothes back then I, but i don't exactly know. okay yeah just to emphasize the uh sort of tall skinny and stout and fat dichotomy maybe it's a humor. It's a humor thing. Comedy trick. <laughs> yeah. One of those humor jokes I keep hearing about. <laughs> Apparently. This yeah. is, science has shown that this is funny. <laughs> oh, and then one other thing. The, the note to self, uh, like, sort of, I'll call it a meme that runs throughout the movie theme or whatever. I've tried to use that as a meme online. It never really seems to, to pick up, uh, to catch on, but it seems like a good, it seems like a good meme format picture of norm mcdonald note to self and you you know you make fun of someone yeah that is should be a good meme format actually i i have a story on that huh. dirty work inspired yeah. me to buy a uh recorder um i got an mp3 player that could also record and i would um I thought it would be funny to do notes to self just from that movie. But then like I ended up just sending home recordings as attachments and emails on my mission. And so I kind of like be walking around and just talking about stuff. And then that's what I would send home. And it was because of dirty work. Do you that? have all those MP3s still? Um, I do on an old hard drive. So like, I don't have them readily available, but yeah, I could get them. Okay. Wow. Dirty Make work inspired. That's inspired cool. Yeah, I could. It's a journal, and it, and there's probably some gems in there that you wouldn't have if it wasn't for, for Bob yeah, Saget's the, dirty work. The story of when I got <laughs> shot, and or shot at, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Cool. Yeah. Um, one thing about dirty work, as I noticed on the most recent viewing, was the soundtrack. I don't know if you were going to say anything about that. I was, but I'm glad you brought uh, it up. Yeah, the soundtrack I thought was, I was actually impressed to how many big name songs from pretty big name artists, like it, it, it's the most, it's almost a, well, it is a, it's like a cliche 90s soundtrack because there was uh, Third Eye Blind, um, Better Than Ezra, Green Day, Chumba Wumba, and the AC classic Chumba Wumba. <laughs> um, not and not the you know not the deep tracks either. Yeah, the, um, yeah, Chumbawamba before they uh, before they sold out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. into Chumbawamba before they sold out too. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I noticed that too. I was like, wow, this is a uh, this is a greatest hits of of the '90s music. Uh, I I'm the only one they missed is uh, Spin Doctors. Oh, I can't believe that it wasn't on there. I thought that it would be. As I was watching, I was like writing down all the artists I recognized, and I thought like for sure Spin Doctors would be on. I thought so too. After after like yeah, after three of those, I was like, oh, I'm. They, they must have spin doctors in this movie, but then they didn't. That one, maybe that one cost too much. Have you guys tried to show this to someone who didn't see it when they were younger, mm. like or closer to the nineties? Maybe my wife, but if we did, we probably yeah. I think I've tried to show my wife, but I think we only. I've got tried to show my wife, but she's not a movie watcher. Yeah, we only got like ten minutes in. I showed this to my wife. And uh, I have a story with it. Hopefully she won't be, it's an interesting story. Hopefully she won't be upset that I share this, but we're watching the movie, you know, having some laughs and they get to the part where Don Rickles um, is harassing uh, one of them. I don't remember who, but he puts his, uh, he, he puts his, uh, his head down to the guy's stomach and was like, Oh, hello. Ice cream. Did, uh, are you happy in there? How are you doing in there? Ice cream. <laughs> making some stupid joke right my wife turns to look at me and she's like she's not you know breaking down or anything but she's like i years and years ago my i had like the last bit of ice cream in the freezer when i was a little kid and her older brother to torment her you know, when he found out that she had had the last of the ice cream, he went over to her and put his head down on her stomach and, you know, made fun of her and said, oh, hello, ice cream, how you doing in there? And it made her cry. And it was like this traumatizing moment. And for years, she just thought that he made that up on the spot. And so she was so pissed that she's like, Wait, he just stole that from this stupid movie. Uh, one, of, one of millions of kids who was negatively influenced by Don Rickles. <laughs> <laughs> so the Rickleites, I call them <laughs> the school of Rickles. <laughs> so that was my experience showing that to my wife. Although um, I think she was a little tiny bit upset at that scene, but no, I haven't. You know, usually what would happen is if I show this to, yeah, anytime I try to show anything to people, um, I feel like I usually have a pretty good idea of what they'll like and what they won't. So. Um, the people that I know who would like this have all already seen it. Yeah. 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 You, you don't think like a zoomer, a fresh zoomer born in like 2002 would enjoy a, a dirty work. They're, um, out there. They're out there. Maybe. I don't know enough about the only zoomers I know are like kind of tuned in and a little uh, tuned into older guys. So I don't know what, um, I don't know what like a true like a true isolated zoomer whose parents are only like 20 years older than him. I don't know what they are like. Yeah. Somebody was saying that um all the zoomers that are uh you know have been online their whole lives have been hanging out with older guys their whole life so probably <laughs> already know all our culture. So <laughs> I feel like with, when it comes to movies when you get young people who are into cinema and stuff and they want to gravitate towards the classics and watching all the the great movies of the past, it's always comedies that are kind of like left out. Like people of my generation who got into movies, you know, were possibly were watching like Casablanca or The Godfather and stuff, but they were most likely skipping 
like Groucho Marx or Charlie Chaplin and stuff like that. So I don't, comedy, for some reason, is like a harder thing to... It's more of a... It's, yeah, it's com- more... I don't know. Comedy can be hard. Um, like like we talked about kind of at the beginning, these, these 90s SNL comedies, uh, they didn't have strong stories, that, but that, that was like intentional. And I think... I don't know. It, it seems like it, it seems like just a totally different type of filmmaking that there's any, I don't know someone maybe does this now, but it's not present back then you do these sort of things. And it was the, it was a mainstream movie that got like mainstream marketing. But now if something is like something like this would be maybe just more like straight to DVD or I guess Netflix or something, but I'm not yeah, sure I've seen anything new that's like this. No, it's like, it's like these, all these SNL movies of the nineties were basically, they were based off of skits. A lot of them, which was just like YouTube videos of their time. And then they made like a long form YouTube video. I mean, they're so, but in a way, even despite all that, I still think movies, even the low effort movies are still more timeless than, than the kind of the ephemera of just YouTube videos, like an iDubs video versus dirty work. Right. Yeah, movies all, all always going to be more self-contained, so you can usually jump in with less context. A lot of this, like YouTube stuff, requires you to know um, a lot of the other people involved, um, and also kind of to they're requiring the viewer to to know a lot of uh, references and stuff, like self-references that that a movie covers for you. Yeah, like. Um... The, the thing I've noticed that kind of gives me a sense of dread is there's people who like quote TikTok videos now. Mm-hmm. So like, instead of quoting like Adam Sandler, they're like quoting, like, did you see that TikTok video with the guy who said something to his wife and acted like a frog? Yeah. I, no, I didn't someone, see that. I don't someone, know what you're talking about. Someone posted a TikTok video the other day and, um, I liked the or not in, it was the song in the background was intriguing so I I tracked down the original video and I listened to the song and I I searched the lyrics and like the best I could tell the song was just like some 6000 some something on YouTube that had 6000 views and it was like a little joke song and it's like how I don't know it's like culture is like um you know how like a, what is it like a mosquito has a gestation period of like a day or whatever. That's like how, just how culture is. It just like turns over every week. It's like just in a completely new set of references. Right. So, I mean, that's very much probably sound like a boomer or whatever, but, um, <laughs> but it's moving, it moves really, really fast now. Yeah. It's but yeah. Like we, we were have, quoting yeah. uh, Chris Farley and Norm Macdonald and now kids are quoting like the dancing bee or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I did have a kid quote Ugandan Ugandan knuckles to me Dewey. on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. My son picks up little things and he'll say him and my wife is very like perplexed. Um I kind of know what they are because I'm online more. And she's like, just like what? Like what do you stop? Like this doesn't make sense. Like, what are you talking about? Like, but uh yeah, culture has gotten gotten weird not necessarily in a bad way it's just it's whatever it is now well at least one thing that you can still count on is 
really the really awkward ones cornering you and quoting uh, like Monty Python and the Holy Grail to you the entire movie verbatim and then like holding you hostage as they quote Monty Python routines because I feel like that never goes away oh those guys are gonna die though <laughs> I saw, well, they're still out there because <laughs> I, I still get trapped at church sometimes there's like a few guys like that, that <laughs> I know of but I think their days are numbered what a blessing that would be all right any any uh i'm gonna wrap it up here but any other um great insights about uh 1998's dirty work better than you've got mail yeah definitely and patch adams <laughs> yeah what what were the other comedies that came out that year were those them i wrote i wrote the truman show uh okay. something about mary okay uh, the water boy uh, the Wedding Singer, Half Baked, and The Big Lebowski, which admittedly The Big Lebowski is pretty high art, but you know, I'd probably pick Dirty Work over all of those other than maybe Big Lebowski. Yeah. All right, guys. That was uh, right. pretty fun. Figured out Dirty Work. Did it. Yeah. We, we didn't really talk about Bob Saget, but he died. It's sad. <laughs> so that guy's dead. Well, Sam and I got great new jobs. Pop's got his heart, and I got the girl. Oh, and Dr. Farthing? Well, he got over his gambling problem, but the bookies beat him to death anyway. So he's dead. That's it. Bye.